Well, if you've been faithfully attending the services here, you know we've been in that little book of Jude, that uh, one pager that's just before the book of Revelation. And uh, you're quite familiar with uh, that little book. Uh, it's very brief, but it is a hard-hitting with regard to its subject matter. You really can't miss Jude's purpose as well as his theme. It's found in verse 3, and it's so important that we keep that before us. He said, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, something happened. The Holy Spirit moved on him in some way. I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Now there's Jude's purpose and his theme. That you, that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to, to the saints. And, uh, that faith Jude is talking about, I need to be clear here, clear, he's not talking about your personal faith that caused you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking about that faith which was once for all delivered. He's talking about the written word of God, the scriptures. That's what you and I are to contend earnestly for. But it's interesting that after sharing with you and me his purpose and theme, the next 13 verses, verses 4 through 16, he zeroes in on the false teachers. He calls them apostates. Those that have known the truth and have fallen away from the truth. And he zeroes in on their character, their actions, and so forth. And then also on their judgment, the impending fiery judgment God has awaiting for them. So it's interesting. He says, you contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered. That is the written word of God. And then for the next 16 verses, which is the bulk of his letter... He zeroes in on those false teachers who have crept in unaware into the church. And uh, as he says in verse three, verse 4 there, they've been marked out for this condemnation. They're ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness. They turn grace into living an immoral life. And then they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Then we come to verse 17. So 13 verses there, 4 through 16, he focuses on the false teachers as well as on the judgment that's coming their way. And then he completely makes a major transition, and you need to see that in verse 17. You can't miss it because he says there, but you be loved. So that's a major transition. Before it was they, them, the teachers, so forth. But you, beloved, and then beginning with verse 17, Jude is going to tell us, here it is, how. That's the key transition. He now is going to tell you and me how we are to contend earnestly for this once for all delivered word of God. Guess what? If we don't catch what Jude is saying on the how, then we're not going to be contending earnestly for this once for all delivered faith. It won't happen. And sad part is, it isn't that God does not have enough warriors, meaning those that are redeemed, that are really genuinely saved in the world. There are plenty of us, but the problem is we don't get to the how, and we don't take it seriously and put it to work in our lives. And guess what? You are here to do that. And it's not because I tell you to do it, it's because God in His Word tells you to do that. So this is very, very, very important for each one of us here. And if you don't get this down, then you're not going to contend earnestly for that once for all delivered faith. And it does pose serious problems for you as well as for others as well. And so we now move into uh, uh, verses 20 and 21. We're going to revisit. 
We saw them a couple weeks ago, and we're going to add to that verses 22 and 23. Okay, so we're going to deal with four verses there. 20, 21, 22, and 23. And putting all those verses together, I've entitled our morning message, listen to this, when God sends, or sends in his special forces. When God sends in his special forces. And you need to realize you're part of that if you're saved. You're not just saved. You're not just, oh good, I'm forgiven. It's not just, I get to go to heaven. No, you have become one of those soldiers in God's special forces as I have as well. So when God sends his special forces, so let's begin with our first major point in our outline, special forces in training. You would expect that. Important. Special forces in training. Remember, Jude is now telling the how you and I contend earnestly for the... And this is your defense. This is your defense. It protects you. It prepares you for the next part as well. The apostle Paul, by the way, often used the analogy of the Christian being a soldier. He talked about being a soldier, a soldier in the Lord's army. And that's really a good analogy when you think about it because you're in a warfare, aren't you? I'm in a warfare. I mean, this is Satan's world system right now that God's allowing him to, to control. And you and I are caught up right in the, I mean, here you were in his, his camp and, 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 and God moved in and he got your attention, your heart, and he saved you and he delivered you. And now you are out of Satan's camp, but you're still in his kingdom there in the sense of, uh, uh, this world system that you live in although you're not to be a part of it, and you're in warfare. So it's a good analogy. And uh, But the Lord has also trained and equipped us to win this battle. That's good to know. He's trained you and me, equipped us as well, to win this battle. There's not a Christian here that God does not plan for you to be trained and equipped to win this battle you're in. And that's what Jude is dealing with. But in order for us to do that, we do have to be trained. You have to be trained. And that is what Jude is seeking to do here in verses 20 and 21. He lays out five areas of training that God expects us as his soldiers to become exercised in and master. And again, this is review of this first couple of verses here, 20 and 21. And two weeks ago, we looked at that. And I suggest it's sort of like Discipleship 101. I mean, it's basic stuff, but still, uh, it's amazing how many Christians, even in good Bible teaching church, you know why? Because you may come into a good Bible teaching church, hear a message, and go go right out of here, and just continue living the way you have. And that's sad if that's happening, because God says, I never planned that. I planned that you would get trained and put this to work in your life so that later on you can put it in the lives of other people as well. So that's what we're going to be looking at here. This is review, the first two verses, but it's very, very important review. And some of you, this is your first time here for a long time, perhaps, and so it's good that you get to hear it again as well. You notice in this first major point of your outline, though, that this is special forces in training, and this training is what? Your defense. It's your defense. This is, listen, you know what? Jude means nothing. His theme and purpose will mean nothing if you don't get this down. Because this is the how. And this is the how you earnestly contend for the once for all delivered written word of God against the false teachers, any and every false teacher who comes your way. And remember, this is your special forces training. Number one, there's five of them here. We'll go quickly. You're being trained to remember. Review, review, review. You're being trained to remember. Verses 17 through 19, Jude writes, But you, beloved, ought to remember. 
ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. Now, the fact that these apostates, these false teachers, are going to come and invade and even take over churches, Bible colleges, seminaries, denominations, as well as various Christian institutions and Christian bookstores. And is this not to catch, in other words, this is not to catch you and me by surprise. Why? The apostles of the Lord said it's going to happen. He said it's going to happen. The fact that they will come and mock the scriptures and say, you really believe that this is from God? This is man-made. This is filled full of errors. It doesn't matter how you interpret it. Everybody has their own idea and so forth. He said, you shouldn't be surprised by that. And the fact that they will get into places of authority and mock the very idea that God, that his son is really out of heaven and he was virgin born and that he went to a cross and three days later he, he rose again. And this idea that he says, and you believe it, he's going to come back. He says, that's ridiculous. They mock that. In other words, know your enemy. You are to remember that Jesus' apostles prophesied that these apostates would come and do all of this. And here we are in the last day of the last days. And we're really seeing it, aren't we? We're seeing it so many realms here. You might have to turn me down just a little bit, Alan. So as these evil workers and messengers of Satan get into more and more positions of power, don't for one second allow yourself to think that somehow God is out of control. He's no longer sovereign. Ian prayed about that during the offering, talked about the sovereignty of God, that he, uh, he, he doesn't realize, or, or I mean, the very fact that he allows Satan to move this far and do this much, and you're likely to say, well, man, things just continue on. Evidently, God doesn't care. He somehow doesn't have control. He says, remember that I told you it was going to happen. Jude says, you are going, you're being trained, what? To remember, to remember. That's the first step in your special forces training and provides for your defense. And Jude now gives you the second step in your training. Starts with remember. And it's like I said, review, 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 review. That's what we do around here. I don't know about you, but I'm just a slow learner. You're not, but I am. That's okay. But, uh, you know, I, I think of the journey and I say, wow, what am I remembering? What, am I, what, what are the same things I'm still doing that God says, man, we've been dealing with that for a long time, Bill. Time to move on, you know, and get these things down. I just say that because I hope it will be an encouragement to you. If nothing more, at least pray for me. Number two, you're being trained to know and handle God's Word. That's what he says, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. That is the Scriptures. He says you're being trained on that. He commands that, being participle here, but being built up on your most holy faith. You're being trained to know and handle God's word. Paul calls the calls scriptures your what? Sword of the Spirit. A sword. Back in the first century, that was a, a weapon that was used there. And the Holy Spirit is in your life to train you to how, how, how to skillfully use this sword. He is the master swordsman, if you please. He plans to train you so you will move from being a child we saw this couple to being a young man or a young woman, if you please. What do I mean? Well, the Apostle John in 1 John 2.14, he describes that. He says this, I have written to you young men. Why? Because you are strong. How so? And the word of God abides in you. 
What's that mean? It means they are in the Word. They know the Word. They're applying the Word. And you have overcome the evil one. You see what I mean by applying? Let's use another one. Hebrews. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14. Hebrews 5, 13 14. You know, this is what you would teach in Discipleship 101 right here. It ought to be taught in Sunday school. It ought to be taught in the homes. I'd be taught from the pulpit, Hebrews 5, 13 and 14, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. They're, they're, they're not accustomed. They don't know this book. They don't know how to handle this book in their own life or to use it in other people's lives, he says. He goes on, not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Let me ask you this question. Are you an infant? You need to answer that. And if so, you need to sell this morning, I'm going to move from infancy to maturity. I'm going to become a young man. I'm going to get to know the Word of God and apply it to my life on a consistent basis here. And we help one another to do that, do we not? But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. That's what we're talking about. Skillfully handling the Word of God that you can discern good and evil even for your own personal life as well as your family life, your children, and even helping others in the church and out of the church as well. Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy who was commanded to be a good soldier to Christ Jesus and he exhorted to him with this. He said, be diligent. Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth, literally cutting straight. You know, Paul was a tent maker, and he says, cut it straight. Know how to read the word of God, know how to interpret the word of God, know how to apply it to your life, know how to share it with others. How skillful are you in handling this sword of the Spirit? If you are a Christian, you are one of God's special forces in training and you are being trained to know and handle God's word. You know, some of you may, really, some of you need to make that decision right now today. Okay, God, I've been kind of drifting around on this. I'm really not in the word on a consistent basis. I'm not reading it. I'm not saying, Lord, what does it mean? And let me dig this out and learn what it means. Let me start applying it to my life in my home and so forth where I work. You know, I, I stagger about this because I think about the workforce, school as well, but the workforce in particular. I mean, how can God unleash in the state of Washington, which is a very liberal, if I may say that state, the left coast, how can he unleash thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians, redeem people into the workforce, and you not see a change one by one, different people getting under conviction, saying, you know, I've got a problem in my life, and yet you're here working with me, and you care about me, and I realize you really care, and you're praying for me, and you know, there's something in your life, I need it. Coming to saving faith. My, my answer to that is this, because so many Christians have not practiced this training of skillfully knowing and handling God's word in their own life and sharing it with others. And that brings us to uh, the next training part. Number three, you're being trained to consistently pray in the Spirit. Verse 20, you're being trained to consistently pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. To have such access to God is a most powerful weapon. We would agree with that. I mean, there's no relationship between God and the unsaved person. They can pray all the Hail Marys they want. 
They, 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 they can pray to God all that. If they're not redeemed, if they've not put their faith in Jesus Christ, there's no connection there. There's no relationship. He is not their heavenly Father until they get saved. That's what the Scripture teaches. But you know what? Blessed be God. He's under obligation to hear and respond and answer to your my prayers. And he says what? Pray in the Holy Spirit, though. You say, does that mean praying in tongues? Absolutely not. That's not what he means here. He's talking about you yielding your life. I think that prayer is the most dependent act that any Christian could ever do. You're concerned about something. Hopefully the Holy Spirit has moved on your heart and mind and burdened you about something. And you're bringing it up before the Lord. And you're saying, Lord, I'm completely dependent. I mean, it's got to be your your plan, your time, your way. But I'm trusting you. You burdened me with this. And so I'm going to keep right on praying. Praying in the Holy Spirit, though, letting Him guide you and so forth. God not only hears your prayer, He acts upon those prayers. I mean, think about your relationship to God. He is your Heavenly Father as well as your God. (laughs) We're told the Lord Jesus Christ continually before His Father's face, what? Intercedes for you and me. You think that He does not care about everything that's burdening you and touching your heart and life? He is right there. And then here's Satan trying to accuse you because you stumble around and fall like I do. And he says, oh no, Father, they're yours. They're blood-bought. He intercedes. And then we're told in the, in the same chapter, Acts chapter 8, that the Holy Spirit who indwells you and me, He's always there in you. And He is what? He is interceding. Listen, I know one thing. His prayers are answered. Amen? He he always prays right, and His prayers are always answered. And so when you and I pray in the Spirit, guess what? We know we're praying effectively. We know that God hears, and God will answer. And He says that is such a key. You know what it reminds me? It reminds me of ships during the wartime. Those ships are out there, and uh, they are firing out into the sea. They're firing into the land shore, and you're on the shore as one of his uh, soldiers there, and they're just bombarding the enemy of there so that you can advance and get into combat with the enemy and win. That's what prayer is. That's what, to me, that's a good analogy of prayer there. Is it any surprise then that Satan keeps you and me from praying? I mean, it is absolutely hard work. Why? Because self has to be put aside, doesn't it? Man, I'm myself, it wants to do this and that. It wants to think this and that. It wants to go here and go there. And he says, no, no. No, this is where you just stop and become dependent before me and talk to me as I guide you in prayer. By the way, nothing like reading the scriptures and God brings things back to your heart and mind and you pray as he does that as well. Maybe it's in the middle of the night and you can't sleep and he brings things to your mind. He says, well, then pray. Pray. What a powerful tool. Pray, he says. No wonder Satan keeps you and me from praying. It is hard work. And yet God says it's part of your special forces training. My, the great things that... God accomplishes. And by the way, there are, we understand there are some things He will not do until we pray. Until we pray. And then He moves and works as He moves on His people to pray. Number four. So you're being, praying, you're being trained to consistently pray in the Spirit. Number four. You're being trained in disciplined obedience. You're being trained in disciplined obedience. Verse 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God. You have to sit and think about that, don't you? What does that mean? Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is not a reference to God loving you, because that never changes. We see all that over there in, uh, in uh, Romans chapter 8. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. The Spirit of God has poured out that love in your life, it says in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 5, verse 4. 
So it's not a reference to God's love, but rather it is your love for God. And we saw a couple weeks ago that Jesus makes clear what Jude is talking about in this text right here. So write this verse down if you don't have it. John 15, 9 and 10. That is your definition from Scripture of what Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. This tells you what he's talking about. Jesus said to his disciples, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Here it comes. Now the command. Abide in my love. There it is. Abide in my life. Okay, Jesus, how is Bill Walker to abide in your love? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There it is. There it is. Jesus, in the scripture, interprets what Jude was talking about when he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. I'll tell you what, when, when we live a disobedient life, you're not going to be a very effective soldier. In fact, I doubt that you're even in the warfare. In fact, probably Satan's laughing because he knows that you're no threat to him. You're not making hit progress. You're not uh, serving the Lord and becoming fruitful. You're not seeing lives change. Why? Because you're disobedient. And by the way, this is what I call disciplined obedience. You have to work at it, don't you? And we all probably could say we all need help in this area to be better more and more that way. And when it comes to being trained in disciplined obedience, I'm drawn to Jude's brother James. And this is a difficult passage. We've mentioned it before. James 4, verses 4 and 5. I personally think he's talking to believers here in this context. Some say, no, it's unsaved people. I, uh, I'll, I will at least apply it to my life. When he says, you adulteresses, and that's pretty... That's, if you think if you think that James is using some pretty heavy terminology, wait until we get through with this text we're in this morning in Jude, his brother. You can tell they're brothers by how they talk. Okay, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Kind of reminds you of First John two: Don't love the world nor the things of the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There it is. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Just a somewhat of a convicting two verses there, I think. We can add to that Paul's command to Timothy. He said to Timothy, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. That's pretty heavy too, isn't it? Pretty straightforward there. And we are what? We're his special forces in training, and that's our defense. So you're being trained in disciplined obedience. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now you know this. Talk about disciplined obedience. Why do they go to boot camp? That so those kids can do do whatever they want, right? Hey, these young boys and girls, they can just do it. No way. That's why I get them up at three in the morning and make them run, do these runs and do these crazy things. Why? They're trying to train them in disciplined obedience. It shouldn't be any less so with us as God's special forces. We find number five, special forces in training your defense. Number five, you're being trained to live daily expecting the Lord's return. We've gone over that when we saw this a couple of weeks ago. There is so much in the scriptures about be prepared. The Lord is going to come back. I know you can say, well, it's been 2,000 years and he hasn't come back. I know that. That means we're right on the edge, doesn't it? And you see things going on and you look at scripture again, back to studying and applying and handling the word of God. And you say, wow, we have to be right on the edge right now. And live in light of the Lord's return. Verse 21, waiting anxiously for the mercy 
of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. That's verse 21, the latter part. Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. When this training actually takes hold of you and me, it will make a great difference in our perspective. You will begin to redeem the time and value every day He gives you. Saying, Lord, I'm like Enoch. I walk with God and I am not for instantly I am taken. And it could happen. If not, literally Him coming back to take us out of here could happen in physical death. None of us know when we're going to die or how we're going to die. And yet to live in light of the Lord's return is such a powerful training tool here. As you are being trained daily to live expecting the Lord's return, you become more and more aware and desirous to enter the fullness of that mercy, don't you? I mean, finally, no more sin nature. What a day. What a glorious thing. No more sin in you. You will be perfect. You will enter into the fullness of His presence and all that God has planned for you. And if you think that things are great here upon the earth and in the sense of aesthetically, you know, the creation and getting to enjoy things and enjoying life and enjoying your family and your children and so forth, He says it's nothing compared to what I've got planned for you. It's amazing, living in light of the Lord's return. By the way, Peter also was one of God's drill sergeants in this area. In his two letters, he sets forth and emphasizes these same five training points, by the way, and you may need to see that. But here, for example, in 1 Peter 4, 7 and verse 13, in his first letter, Peter writes these words, verse 7 and verse 13 of chapter 4, the end of all things is near. There it is. He says, near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And then drop down to verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation, there it is, at the revelation, even begin chapter 1 with this, at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Valuable, powerful training tool for your special forces training. And just how does being trained to live daily expecting the Lord's return prepare you and me for being a good soldier in God's special forces? Apostle John tells us. First John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, he tells us, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But we know this, that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, there it is, everyone who has this hope fixed on himself, what do they do? You tell me, what do they do? Purifies themselves, just as he is pure. See what a powerful training tool that is? Now let me go back to this. If you don't get the training, you're not going to be ready for the offensive part of it. That's why a lot of people are not in the battle. They're in a battle. They're just losing. If you don't get the training, so if nothing else, from the book of Jude, when he talks about contending earnestly for the once for all delivered word of God, the written word of God, if you don't get the training, you're not going to be able to do this. And God says, I don't give you an option to be out. You can't just keep on drifting as his believer through life. He says, no, I expect every one of my soldiers, every one of my redeemed children to get the training, and keep on getting the training so that they can go into the next part, special forces in combat. Now, we could talk a lot about the losing the battle, but that's not where I'm going. Special forces in combat, your offense. This is your offensive weaponry now, battle. So the next two verses take us by surprise, though. Have you thought about that? Have you read Jude through to see that? I mean, you, you get in this, this takes you by surprise. You say, whoa, wait, what's he saying? He what? He, he, he's... Telling me, this is what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to get in the battle? I'm supposed to go there? Look at this with me. 
verses 22 and 23. We're about wrapping up the letter here. You see that. This is the how again. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Okay, that's not too bad. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. What he insists we do really does make us understand why we have to be special forces in training if we're going to go into combat like this. Jude tells us after we've received our training in those five disciplines, we are to go right into the camp of the apostates. Look at that. God is sending you right back into the camp of the apostates and those who are being influenced by them and seeking to deliver them out of their blindness and out of their deception and even out of their depth. Death, I'm sorry. Now I need to make a clarification. This again, studying scripture with scripture. The apostle John said something else that you're very familiar with. In John, second John chapter, uh, it's one chapter, second John verses 10 11. Here's what the apostle John said. And you know these verses. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. And do not give him a greeting for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. You say, wait a minute. John says, don't even invite them into your house. Don't even interact with them, if you please. And then you turn right around and Jude says, get in there and fight with them. I mean, what's the difference? Well, for one thing, John may have in mind the house church, because they didn't meet in buildings like this, they met in houses. And he might have been telling the elders, you don't invite those people in, with the idea that they're going to be teaching all that, because they'll influence the body. That may be part of it. Or he may just say, I want to protect you. You need to be aware that when you're dealing with people like this, you better be very, very careful. And you certainly say, hey, God bless you, when you know they're teaching error. But Jude says, you're God's special forces, and you have a job to do even with these people here. So let's... Go with number one, special forces in combat, your offense. Number one, engaging the doubters. Engaging the doubters. Verse 22, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Well, we need to begin with the profile of the doubters. We need a profile of these people. The profile of the doubters. These are primarily folk in the church who are being affected by the false leaders. Teachers, I'm sorry. They're people in the church primarily that are being affected by the false teacher. Remember, they had invaded the church. They had sneaked in unaware. And the error that they're teaching. In other words, they're confused people. They don't know truth. They don't seem to know truth from error. They most likely are doubting their salvation. They may be questioning different Bible doctrines, and most likely they are, about can a person be know they're saved and be saved uh, uh, permanently. Uh, they might be questioning, at least in Paul's day, the resurrection. That's why he wrote 1 Corinthians, for example. It might deal with gifts of the Spirit that they're doubting. Uh, it might be doubtful things. I mean, is this sin or not sin to do this and that? Uh, these folk are in doubt about the Bible's teaching about, and Hind, you appreciate this, the literal six-day creation. I mean, I mean, can we really believe that when science tells us something else? So they're doubting that. They would doubt a worldwide flood. And what happens? Then the Bible has no sole authority, does it? They begin to doubt the Bible. I mean, can I really trust this book? I mean, isn't it, isn't it men compiled this book and therefore it's got errors in it? So I can't trust this. And so they doubt that. And of course that list just goes on and on. By the way, the word doubting is also translated elsewhere, disputing. 
So these are going to be arguer people. These are going to, they're going to be arguers. They don't doubt. They, they argue their positions. And the people who doubt are also, they tend to question and dispute or argue about that which they're doubting. And those who are doubting are the very ones the false teachers prey on. They're the ones that the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses move in on. I think it's interesting, and I don't know why, but I was reading the paper that Russia has outlawed the Jehovah's Witnesses. Isn't that something? Even because they're going to take over all their property. But that's interesting. The sad part about that is next they'll be outlawing the genuine biblical church as well. So it just doesn't stop with them. As one person put it, those who are open to truth are also open to error. That's right. If they're open to truth, well, you know, I'm not against it. I just, you know, then they're open to error as well. And these people move right in. Number B in your outline, you're to pursue these with mercy. And I suspect all three groups you're supposed to pursue with mercy. We're to pursue these with mercy. We're to pursue these folk remembering the mercy God showed us when we were blind and we were doubting and we were in sin, caught up in it, in the devil's camp. Since we don't know who God will step in and save, we're to show these folk mercy and not just write them off. Keep that in mind. Because I have a tendency to do that. You know, they come knocking on my door. I think, okay, Mary, you go answer it. (laughs) I know who they are. They've been here before. And we tend to write them off and say, no, wait a minute, God tells us in Jude what we're to do. Good. By the way, the mercy also has the idea, and it's translated elsewhere, pity. You have pity on these people. I mean, show them pity because they are blind, they're lost condition, and they're one heartbeat from eternal damnation. The Greek scholar Mayer explains Jude's words this way, and have mercy on some who are doubting, and with the interpretation here, reprove them because of their doubts, or convince them when they dispute with you, end of quote. In other words, argue some of them out of the air while they are still in two minds. Argue them out of it. And Jude says, if you've had your special forces training, get in there and do that. That's what he's saying. Well, we go to number two. Now it gets harder. Now you wonder what... How could you do this? I can understand those in the church or outside the church that have their doubts and want to dispute about this and that, that you might argue with them, but boy, he really sends you in now. Engaging Engaging the deceived. Engaging the deceived. Save others, verse 23, snatching them out of the fire. These people have the singe and smoke of fire on them. This is more than just doubting with these people. This second group is no longer doubting. They have embraced the lie. Jude describes them as already being in the fire. It says, snatch them out of the fire. In other words, it's like the fires of hell where they're going to end up if they don't get saved have already been lit around them and their clothing is on fire. They're convinced. They're convinced of the false teaching that they have and are embracing, and they are already being singed by the fires of hell that will engulf them in the future. Number B, you are to pursue these using aggressive force. You pursue these, and you have to use aggressive force. Now you have a good example of this. Isn't it interesting that in Jesus' ministry, for most of his ministry, he never wrote the Pharisees off. But boy, he aggressively confronted them, didn't he? And he always used the scripture to aggressively confront them. Now you understand why you have to be trained in knowing and handling the word of God. So you have to pursue them with aggressive force. 
This may be what James had in mind when he wrote, My brethren, if any of you strays, this is James 5, 19 and 20, and it might have, have this in mind, uh, the brother of, of Jude. He says, If any brethren, if anyone among you strays from, or straying from the truth, and one turns them back, let him know that he has turned a sinner from the error of his way and will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. He may have had that in mind. We're given a couple of illustrations from the Old Testament of snatching them out of the fire. Amos 4.11. In Amos 4.11, you can put that if you want by verse 23, the first part there. Amos 4.11, God says to Israel, listen to what he says. I overthrew you. Israel, I overthrew you. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. How do you do it? With fire. Brimstone. And you were like a firebrand snatched from the blaze. I didn't completely consume you, did I? I snatched you. Yet... You have not returned to me, declares the Lord. And that's kind of what you're going to be doing. You're going to go into this group of people, the deceived, and they may be like a firebrand snatched from the flame, and yet they may not respond to your aggressive force in sharing the word of God with him. A second example out of the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 3. And on a Sunday night, we went through the book of Zechariah. So you, you who are here will remember this. Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 4. I love this one. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. You see, God is going to snatch Jerusalem out of the flames of fire. And he uses one individual, that is the high priest, to do that. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? That's Joshua, the high priest. Now Joshua describes him was clothed with filthy garments, and we're going to get into that a little bit later on. Standing before the angel, he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. That's what happens when you snatch them from the fire, and they actually get snatched. Again he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and will clothe you with festival robes. Isn't that good? He said, I'm going to save Jerusalem. I'm going to save that remnant. I'm going to snatch them out of the fire. And that's what he's talking about here, an example of that. You go to these people who are deceived, that believe their lies, that are even teaching their lies. You move in there, and some of them, I'm going to use you to snatch them out of that fire. That's good. That's good. But thirdly, he doesn't stop. Boy, he, no wonder we're called God's special forces who've been trained and now we're in combat. No wonder. Look what he says, engaging the deadly. Engaging the deadly. Verse 23, the latter part. And on some, this is the third group, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by their flesh. The profile of the deadly. What are they like? The profile of the deadly. This is rather amazing that Jude would send you and me back in after these folk. I mean it. It's rather amazing. But that's what he does. Remember, contend earnestly for the once for all delivered, written word of God. And after you're trained... He says, you get in there and fight this battle, and this is how you do it. These are the ones who are not only deceived, dear ones, these are the committed promoters and teachers of this false doctrine. They're the ones who turn the grace of God into licentiousness, living immoral lives often. And they are the ones who deny Jesus as our Lord and Savior. They're the ones who defile the flesh and reject authority, reviling angelic majesties. They are the ones who have gone the way of Canaan, Cain and for pay have, and for pay have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the descriptive ones he's been talking about all through this little letter. They're the ones who are presidents and professors in Bible colleges 
and seminaries. They're the ones who head up denominations. They're the ones who are pastors, and I call them pastoresses, and bishops in churches that have turned away from the Word of God. And Jude adds to their profile describing, listen to this, he says they wear garments polluted by the flesh. If you thought his brother was coarse calling us adulteresses that go after the world and fall in love with the world, this is really, really coarse. I'm going to tell you in a minute just how coarse it is because you can't believe the stuff's in the Bible. That God, the Holy Spirit, directs him to use it. At this point, Jude uses this coarse language. He stoops to the point where he talks about their underwear. How about that? He talks about their underwear here. Back then, the people wore the himatian. The himatian was the outer tunic. They all had the outer tunic. And then they had underneath that, they had what was called the chiton. And that was the undergarments. Garments worn next to, next to the skin. And the idea in Jude's mind, by using this hyperbole, is the same that was in Isaiah's mind when he says this about people's righteousnesses who are unsaved. He says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteousness deeds, or righteous deeds, sorry, are like filthy garments. Minstrel garments is what he has in mind. Very graphic. You talk about getting down in describing these people. By the way, that tells you what God thinks about false religions and false teachers that promote it. Filthy undergarments. In other words... It's similar to the Old Testament when they talked about a leper that come. They said, don't even touch them. Don't touch their garments. Those garments are to be burned. They're filthy. Amazing. Number B, though, you're to pursue these with mercy. Isn't that something? I think mercy was probably meant for all three groups. You're to pursue them with mercy. As I said before, mercy has the idea of pity. I mean, these people are... In Satan's camp, these deadly promoters of false doctrine, these deadly promoters of lies that demean God's character and damn people into hell are just one heartbeat from ending up into Hades and ultimately into the lake of fire where they're going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. And Jude says, listen, you go in there and you have mercy on them. You go with mercy and pity. Let God prepare your heart to really love them in the Lord and be deeply concerned and broken over their their situation because they've been terribly blinded by Satan and become his slaves to do his will. Well, number C, you are to pursue these being aware of the danger. He says, this one, you better be aware of the danger. Jude says we're to have mercy on these folk, but we're to have that mercy with fear. They're like individuals who have a deadly disease and to be near them, trying to help them, uh, the one who does that has to be extremely careful lest you catch that disease. You don't trifle with their sin. You don't make light of their sin and their sinful condition. Be extremely careful there. And a person who is in special forces and who goes into combat understands a healthy dose of fear, don't you? If you're going into a combat situation, probably it's highly uh, qualified and people aren't even told about, but except the key people and they're making the decisions, you know that you're in a situation of extreme danger. You could lose your life. Your buddy could lose his or her life. And he says, because of that, he says, you have a sense of fear that's healthy. But even out of this number, dear ones, I love this, even out of this group of people, at times God reaches down. I'm talking about those hardened people that are so committed that they're promoting that. He reaches down and he transforms those people's lives. The number of examples even today, but I think of the one you know well, Saul of Tarsus. He was so committed to false teaching 
Thought he was right. So committed. And God reached down and completely transformed his life. All this to say, as we move through this book of Jude, God says, you want to know how? How do you contend earnestly for the once for all delivered word of God? You have to be trained. You have to be trained. That's your defense. And then you have to engage. I send you to engage with the enemy. By the way, think about people like Judy Strand and and, uh, Kendra and others that go to these countries that are Islamic in the background and so forth. And I think about the fact that they're going right into the enemy's camp. And God says, but they're skillfully trained. These five areas and ready to do combat. And I go with them and I will give them the victory. Amen. Dear ones, every one of us, Every one of us who is in this room that's redeemed, if you're genuinely saved, you are, I am, God's special forces. A job to do. A training to put to work. Heavenly Father, thank you for this simple little letter of Jude. And yet it isn't so simple. It's profound. And we stand back like, wow, Lord, you have said through Jude, we are to go right into that camp and seek to confront these people, doing it with pity, with mercy doing it with fear, and yet let you use us to reach them with the gospel, the truth, and and sometimes aggressively to confront them. That's what you've said. I pray, Father, that you would help us to continue with our development in these uh, trainings that we have, these five areas. I pray, Father, as well, that in the combat, you'll give us great victory. In Jesus, we'll give you the praise and glory. In your name we pray. Amen.